are living in an artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep. The poor and the underclass are growing. Racial justice and human rights are non-existent. We have been lulled into a trance. They have made us indifferent to ourselves, to others. We are focused only on our own game. That is their primary method of survival. Keep us asleep, keep us selfish, keep us sedated. You're listening to Toward Anarchy on the Republic Broadcasting Network. Here's your host, Michael Storm. Okay, boys and girls and everything in between, it is 2024, face it. Uh, (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Michael Storm. It is my pleasure, as always, every week to be here at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time all around the world. Uh, Thanks to you. Thanks to Republic Broadcasting Network. Uh, You can follow along each week at TowardAnarchy.com and at TowardAnarchy all over on the web. I'm I'm still back on that just poking and poking and poking at Google. And again, it's been years since I did this where I I went and just pointed out some things. People didn't understand how Google worked, you know, a decade ago. And I, I would would go in there and I would show people how it would work and how it would manipulate results and hide things. And I haven't looked at it in a long time. I don't really use it. A lot of search engines are built on the the Google back end, and so you can get the same information in a different place in a better way. And, and, and it's just funny to see it again after all these years to go back through there and just look at how they manipulate results. And, and I think it's mostly about money. It, I, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Just looking at, it. I don't see it. There's no political drive to to hide toward anarchy. Nobody cares. <laughs> Who are they hiding it from? In in those terms, you're talking about you know, the small number of people, hundreds, even a, a few thousand, uh, depending on the month that that visit the website and 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 poke at the the buttons on there and find information i I don't think they're too worried they you know the proverbial they i don't think they're too worried about uh what we're doing here so it's it's been really easy i I can see where you know info wars would get would have a hard time trying to submit through search engines and and get uh, quality results, particularly through Google. Anybody through Google, that's a proof of it. My my experience with these things over the years is just proven. It. Google is terrible. If you want to use a better search engine, it doesn't it doesn't matter uh, which other one you use. Pretty much as long as you don't use Google, because all of their results on Google are weighted and manipulated. And and depending on how you search them, it'll produce different results. And depending on where you search from, y- you will get the illusion of uh, uh, of the importance of your search term in general would you say but it it ultimately makes it look like there's no results for your search when you can complete the search a different way and it'll produce literally millions of them too but you can find us anywhere that's the point at toward anarchy go to towardanarchy.com. look for february 11th and that's where i am in my world today as always the information is up there everything that i i just put together for it's not a lot 
it, it would take you just a few seconds to go there and check it out. And and regardless of whether you go through the website, I like it too because that's where the links are for the guests and things like that. And, and just the stuff that I found that's interesting. Of course, replays, all of the episodes are available at TowardAnarchy.com. All episodes of the for the last five years are up there. Uh, they're not available across all the streaming platforms. In case you're wondering, if you listen to the stream, if you catch it in any of the, any of the streams, we're on all the major streaming networks. Uh, if, if you catch it there and you see that it looks like there's only a handful of episodes, uh, that's because they're just not all up there. They're not all on the stream. They're not all on that big piece of paper on my website, digital piece of paper on my website that I keep that lists all those that feeds that information out to the streams. I only keep just so much of it. Otherwise, the list is unmanageable. It's too long. They do you know 50 of these things a year or something like that, and it starts to add up after about five years. Uh, so they're all there, all the old episodes, all the links, all the information. It's a great place to start, but if you find us on, on Facebook or Instagram, if you you find us on TLB Talk, uh, Rumble, on X, wherever it is, please give that like, give that share, that subscribe, that follow, whatever the terminology is that they use for whichever place you find us, please do that. It's the most important thing that you can do for the show, uh, in, in, in other than just listen to it. I mean, listening is great. It's, I like to see those numbers. Uh, it, it's a fantastic thing to see. But, uh, yeah, give that like and, and that share, that follow, that subscribe. Those are those, are those uh, it's just the simplest, easiest way to help out the show and, and to spread the word about the great information and the fantastic guests. Like my guest today, if you go to uh, TowardAnarchy.com, pull up February 11th, you'll see uh, the plan is to talk with Michael Anderson. We, we've been working to talk with him for a couple of months here and, and uh, you know, only doing one show a week and, and having to shuffle things around and schedules and it, you know how it can go sometimes. Uh, it's fantastic to find to get him here. He's an author, he's a historian, he's a political analyst, and that may seem a little silly for a show called Toward Anarchy whereas I clearly I'm an anarchist and I'm always going to be an anarchist. I have no interest in this political system. It's a joke. Uh, other people do. Other A lot of people do and those people will in some ways be somewhat responsible for what happens to us in our future so I think that uh, and there's a lot of people who vote uh, a, a lot of people who are still playing the game in the system that listen across the network and to the, the replays of the show the podcast versions of the show uh, they're out there you're out there I think you need to be informed I think you need to understand what the system is so I'm I'm excited to hear a different perspective of it particularly uh, uh, in regard to the sort of tribal nature of American politics and and the future of that political system and if you want to know more about Michael you like what uh, he's chatting about or chatting about today Visit MikeAndersonBooks.com. You can see the books that he's written. He's written. He talk about prolific. You know, sort of um, uh, seven years, four books in the last seven years. I think that was the number that I saw. Just just cranking them out, and these are uh, interesting uh, notions and and topics that he's covering in those books. And we'll get him to talk about some of that uh, here in just a minute. And another great way to follow up with him is he's, he has a spot on uh, Blogspot, Mike Anderson's Books, Blogspot.com. It's Mike Anderson's Books. 
facebook.com, Mike Anderson's books.blogspot.com. The links are up there. You don't have to remember that. Uh, it, it, uh, it can be found. Once again, there's a couple of articles up there as well that I thought would be – they're kind of gotcha mem- moments because these are things that I've been paying attention to from day one and things that I talk about on the show, and I'm on record across the board on these things. Uh, Florida grand jury releasing their first report on the COVID vaccines and the, the sort of government response to them. And there's you know nothing in this report that's been realized by these people uh, long after the fact at this point that you wouldn't have been aware of by simply following this show at the time. Literally. Uh, it, it's an interesting report. It's interesting to see. It's interesting to see if there'll be anything that's done about it uh, at all. They, they, you know, they, whether you know it or not, there are people that are constantly fighting the the medical pharmaceutical industry conglomerate mess that is at the at the push of vaccines and they're constantly uh, making efforts to try to you know remove mandates and and make it so that employers can't force people to be vaccinated just to have a job or be vaccinated to go to school things like that they're constantly in that fight and there's a big one going on. I'll tell you about that one and it coming up maybe in a couple of weeks or something as the information unfolds. Uh, one more link there. It, the most ridiculous jobs report in history. This is actually the zero hedge look at uh, something, again, that I cover all the time. And it's funny because over the past few weeks I've been – of course, they're releasing all the, the, the jobs data from the end of last year and then the end of last month. And I tell you all the time about how these things are constant manu- manipulated and they're changed and nobody ever follows up. Well, I won't say nobody. It's very rare when you actually see in the mainstream media some sort of follow up on the jobs numbers that aren't just a manipulation and obfuscation of the truth, something to get you to fall, you know, fall in line with the politics. Of course, the system right now, especially the people who are in control of the system at the moment or at the top of it, whether they're really in control of it or not, is definitely to be debated. Uh, they they are of course they, their election is coming up here in november and they want their guy to win and so the jobs the manipulations the reports about the economy they're all very positive right now if you're only looking in a certain direction if your little overton window is only on that one point of the what is the downside of the bell curve of american uh economics and the economy itself uh, the, the the this information that's in this zero hedge report is all uh, everything that I've seen over the last few weeks sort of combined into one spot, and I, I just think it's a great look at the truth about the jobs numbers and about how they're manipulating that, you know, presumably in advance of the election, because they they know that in the next year things are going to be worse than they are now, and so they they like to try to get their their wins in before things get worse and and in worst case scenario if the other guy happens to win they can point at him and say oh well well it happened on his watch so in four years excuse me in four years don't forget that vote for us again even though we don't do anything different we don't do anything uh that's going to change anything uh that that's the gist of what it is the little game that they play and and maybe uh, our guest today michael anderson can shed a little bit of extra light on that 
and and the election that's coming up here. It, it, so it's great to really get a chance to talk with you, Michael. I, hopefully everything is set there on that. And I can't see. That's yep. the, the beauty of this. Oh, yeah. There you are. Awesome. I, I knew you were sitting there, but every once in a while, you know how it goes, a, a mute button or, or something that like that's not pressed there. And, and I go, hey, are you – hello? hello? <laughs> so uh, great to get a chance to talk with you, Michael. I appreciate you taking the time and joining the show. Happy to be here. Fantastic. So, uh, as I was saying, everybody, if you like what you hear, what we're about to chat about, you want to know more about Mike, you want to know about, more about his book, MikeAndersonsBooks.com, books plural. Uh, so, man, politics, tribal nature, some interesting words in just sort of looking over your your bio and your information and, and some of the things that you've done. It sounds like you've had a, a good look at this sort of thing and, and you've, you've kind of been able to point to some some keys and hopefully maybe some some ideas for people who are still involved in this system to better navigate through it all and uh, and that kind of begs the question for someone like myself how do you come to even write about something like politics to to really want to be uh, so deeply involved in an understanding of this game that they have going on well it's been a journey let me uh, take you through it quickly um I am an engineer by um, chemical engineer is my bachelor's degree, and I have a Ph.D. in computer science. So I'm a data uh, IT guy, basically career IT guy. But I've always liked history. I've read history in my entire life, been interested in history, political systems, and all that. Uh, Twenty years ago, I started writing about history, and uh pretty quickly got into political systems because that's an important part of any society throughout history. And I actually started a blog uh, on ancient history in 2008. So I was writing about the Greeks and Romans mainly, and when you do that, you obviously end up talking about their political systems, the Greek democracy, the Roman Republic. Uh, And I got thinking about the fact that those... you know, people have, in 2,000 years, human beings have not changed. There right. is no D- DNA that works that fast. So those uh, societies reflect the same forces and behaviors and all that that we see today. And and my my blog has, on the, on the banner on the front, it says, history is already, uh, today has already happened referring to the fact that there really isn't anything new in terms of human behavior. So, but but there was a a seminal event that happened to me. I read in 2012, uh, a gentleman named Jonathan Haidt uh, published a book called The Righteous um, Mind, which basically he's a um, social psychologist at NYU. And his book talked about the difference in behavior between the left and right. And I'd always had, always had questions in my mind about why, you know, why are people arguing so much about politics? Why are there such different point of views? And his book documented all that. And basically what he, as a psychologist, did was identified characteristics, uh, we call it political morality, which is basically the behaviors and personality characteristics that people have that lead to their politics because it's it's partly genetic. 
And so you can look at the left and right and see different behavior. And, you know, when I start talking about it, it's probably going to be obvious to you because, you, it, you know, we all observe this. For example, the left is obsessed with equality. You know, they would like to see a socialist political system because they, they hate capitalism and they believe that capitalism is unfair because it's Darwinian. There's winners and losers. They don't like that. They want to create a society where everybody is equal. So, so they, and, and in Height's terms, um, there are actually six personality traits. Caring and fairness are two of them, and those are very important to the left. Uh, the other ones are loyalty, authority, and sanctity. And then liberty is kind of an offshoot of those. And those, the loyalty, authority, and sanctity are important to people on the right. Um, the, people on the right do not believe in equality because they don't believe that's the normal human behavior. That when you put humans in a group, the group becomes hierarchical because that's how humans behave and operate. You know, some some people will become the leaders and some people will become the followers, and that's the way it is. You can't make them equal. So loyalty and authority mean a lot to the right, and then sanctity is basically the, I mean, originally, back in the days of primitive man, sanctity was protection from disease. So if you there was some kind of like mushrooms that it were poisonous, sanctity was protection of oneself basically. And then over the time of human history, it became really part of religion. Right. So sanctity is really the veneration and respect for symbols or religious beliefs or whatever. So it's it's turned into something different. But you know. It, People on the right tend to be more religious than people on the left. So, you know, hopefully in describing these, it makes sense to you and you can observe it in the public. Um, yeah, I think I think just about anybody who's paying any attention at all is going to agree with those. It seemed like pretty basic assumptions about or observations, really, not even assumptions about pretty observations about our political system as it has been from the beginning. Sure, and those differences um, are not just the result of Jonathan Haidt's book. That's not the only evidence sure. for this. They've done a lot of studies, for example, where they'll take uh, subjects, groups of subjects, and they ask their political leaning, are you, Democ are you liberal or conservative? And then they take them through a questionnaire ans answering questions that kind of indicate uh, which one you are, and it always matches. And so... For example, people on the left are more open. Uh, they like new things. For example, they like to travel. People on the right are more status quo oriented. Uh, they like traditions. And uh, they believe in, you know, traditions and the veneration of traditions and all that. So those are basic differences. But to take it a step further, they've done MRI testing where you ask a person different questions about politics and you have, then you take an MRI or, or you're taking it while you're asking that. While you're answering, and, yeah. and, and which part of the brain lights up? Well, 
a different part lights up for people on the right than lights up for the people on the left because their brains are different. And so that's, you know, that's the part of the genetic aspect to it is when we're born, we have a tendency, and it's about, you know, 50% um, inherited tendency and 50% environment, like people always talk about, but you're, you're gene- you have a genetic influence on whether you're conservative or liberal. And it can change, but more people than not stick with their genetic uh, propensity, and that's probably well, even when they do change, they still tend to change with the understanding that they're still that same kind of person. Uh, but they've they've decided, they've realized, observed that the the political system isn't about how you feel; <laughs> it's about yeah. the the reality of what these individuals are doing when you elect them. Right. So, so back to the brains for a second. So the, the brains of the left that are actually more developed than the right are, is the part of the brain that has to do with complex decision-making. Mm-hmm. The, the left likes analytics. They're analytical people, and they like making decisions. The right is more reacts by gut rather than being analytical. Uh, the part of the brain that is more advanced than the rights is is called the amygdala. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it's oh, the yeah. part that controls fright, uh, flight or fright. Sorry, flight or fight. Uh, there you go. <laughs> tendency, area. Right. So, um, and that's because uh, you know conservatives are more they gut react to threats, and it's that part of the brain that controls that. Well, that's because I I would venture to guess that's because there's an already decided morality on the part of the the right individual, generally speaking, that suggests easy answers in what we would consider probably easy, easy problems. They are more a little more black and white, I guess, would be the way to say it. Right. So these brain differences actually go back long before Homo sapiens exist, existed, because they developed when man left Africa and started to migrate into Europe and Asia. Obviously, he encountered new uh, ecosystems which were different from Africa. I mean, if you take you know Northern Africa and compare it to the Alps, for example, I mean, very different. So, this behavior, set of behavioral traits that are liberal and conservative have to do with adaptation to the environment. Makes sense. So liberals are more, they like new things, they want to experiment, so their ability was more tuned toward finding food, where the conservatives, who are more status quo people, their ability was more attuned to managing a food supply that already existed. So if you're in an environment where you have unlimited food, you don't need to find any. You can just manage it. But if your food supply runs out and you need to find new food supply, then you need people who are adventurous and want to go help find food. And, of course, it goes without saying that there's a whole ton of people in the middle. You know, when I talk about these, right, when I talk about these characteristics, it's at the extremes that they're most prominent. And then there's people in the middle that don't, they have a mix of these characteristics that don't lead them in a direction either toward liberalism or conservatism. 
So they're, they're the independents. So the society has a you know variation in behaviors that were originally for adaptation, but now determined political attitudes. Yeah, I I think that makes perfect sense, and I think you find across this networking across the the people listening to this show in particular they they understood that there there was no question about what you just stated and i think most of it fairly observable the rest of it understandable through a little bit of historical perspective i would think uh and and i guess that's where it comes in doing the work trying to find that that historical and biological perspective that that existed back then uh to be able to apply it to what we're seeing today and and uh, how how do you think that accounts for the differences where like we've seen in the past couple of years here where there's a, a something of a, a switch this happens all the time uh, here in America anyway where the left and the right kind of switch their values yeah, well, we'll give me not example. core values, but political right. values in the way they handle things. Give me an example. Well, okay, so uh, uh, one uh, here's an interesting one. So uh, politicized, heavily politicized. I mentioned COVID and vaccines uh, at the beginning of the show. Heavily politicized. Uh, this the interesting thing is five years ago. Back before COVID, in any time back before COVID and before the latest sort of political pole shift, um, the what you would expect to see when you talk to somebody who wasn't who, who was questioned uh, vaccines and in the policies surrounding them. Most people would point and say that's well, that's a sort of leftist, feely, touchy person that that is maybe a little too smart for their own good and has read too many books or seen too many blogs and now has decided they don't want to take vaccines. Whereas now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's kind of flipped around the other way where it's the conservative right that have this particular uh, th- I, I, and I, I, there's no particular reason why except for the response. It's directly related to the political response of the system. The system became more authoritarian and locked everybody down. The political right doesn't like that. It, it wants limited authoritarianism. <laughs> this is a great example and we can apply the political morality to it. And, I mean, you, you're on the right track. Um, you know, people, when I'm on podcasts, people, one of the questions I always get asked is, how do we fix tribalism, you know, which mm-hmm. is on everybody's mind. And what? And I have a variety of answers I give, one of which is um, if there's some evil force that, uh, that uh, threatens the entire country, we'll come together in a second. Like sure. 9-11, let's say. And I thought that would happen in COVID because here's a disease that's affecting everybody. And so we'll all pull together as a nation and solve it. What happened was it got politicized, like you said. And so, I mean, my explanation for the behaviors you described is it goes back to these characteristics. People on the left, that I mean, everybody has a religious point of view, even if you're not religious. And I think one of the religions of the left is technology. They love technology. And, they, right. you know, AI and stuff, they absolutely love it. They want to have 
the world's controlled by machines and things like that. They look at it that way. So because they trust technology, they trusted the vaccine. So if you um, need it, if the government says you need it, well, then you got to take it. And, we, you know, we got to fall in line. And, and they like to control because they're, they have socialist, socialist ideology. It's like they think, you know, the masses are dumb and we need to manage them. Because they're, they don't, they can't manage themselves. So, you know, uh, significant lockdown makes sense because you got to protect the people from themselves. Don't let them out of their houses because they might uh, infect somebody else. And the right, liberty is huge. I mean, to the right, if you take, you take away my right to live my life, that, I got a problem with that. And so when we got about halfway through COVID, I don't know the specific date or anything, but we all saw it. We saw the left, the red and the blue states start to divide. And the red state governor said, hey, you know, we're, we're getting more information about this and we're getting under control. There's no reason to have a lockdown. And they started opening up. The left didn't do that. Because they were, they believe in the science. They want people. I was reading an article today. They want there's 69 universities that are still requiring a shot, or you can't go to school. Oh God, yeah, I knew it was some ridiculous number, and and they're instituting some mask policies. The fear right now about disease is just high in the news. Uh, we're talking to political analyst Michael Anderson. He's also an author and a historian, and he's got a great view of our tribal nature of American politics. And we'll be right back here on Toward Anarchy. the truth you're listening to republic broadcasting network real news real talk real people because you can handle the truth hi tom bolton for ease off i know so many of you are finding our easy four carcass drop and lift an essential tool for your meat processing operation but today i want to spotlight four of our new products First, our right height hog cradles with steel or aluminum frames. Our customers love this back-saving innovation that enhances sanitation and speeds production. Next, our beef cradles with stainless steel or aluminum frames eliminate rust and corrosion. We hope you'll compare our quality and prices for this essential part of your processing line. Our cradles are especially effective when used with our power skinner. And finally, our hook tumbler will keep your hooks clean and polished. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC, 417-932-6419. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read a few. In one month, my blood pressure dropped significantly. I no longer get chest pain after exercise. It's amazing, and I ordered my second bottle... The reviews are spot on. My target is to get off BP meds, and if it keeps going like this, I see a light at the end of the tunnel. So far, a great product is what it claims to be. Great product. A few days in, and I could feel a difference for certain. Not checking medical stats yet. I know this is really working by how I feel. 
will continue to take this product. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Tahibo Tea Club's original pure pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com. Or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113. Drinksupertea.com. This is Toward Anarchy on RBN with Michael Storm. Justice is blind. Uh, to to follow along. This is next week on the show, Stuart Kenneth Moore, comic book creator, Stuart Kenneth Moore. We're going to talk about Project MK Ultra, sex, drugs, and the CIA. His graphic novel, and there, there. That's from a screenplay from a, a, a movie that they're putting together. It's. It, going to be a fun conversation and we'll have uh, uh dr dean lloyd in to wrap up the month and we'll kick off next month with rob leeming we'll talk a little bit about yoga and an individual man's journey uh to to finding liberty uh, luke tatum will be in to talk about the infinite banking concept on the on the 10th of the month and i have a couple other things a couple other guests lined up we'll talk to a guy who is using uh comic books as a curriculum tool is uh, to teach and and not just about uh, you know, the, the artistic value of comic books but about the historical value the the these the social value, the political value of, of these books, these these funny magazines made for kids. Ha ha. Uh, support the network. Go to republicbroadcasting.org and just, just smash on that donate button. It's right over there on the left-hand side. It's an easy thing to do, just a few clicks away, and you make it possible not just for me but everybody across the network to come here and do the things that we do every week and for Sam and Mike and everybody at the network to sit there and push the buttons and produce uh, everything that you hear. They're responsible. Yeah, I'm responsible for the voice, but the fact that you're hearing it, that's all because of, of Sam and Mike and everybody else at the network. Uh, if you're not into the digital thing, it's easy enough easy enough just to call up the network and speak to somebody in person. 800-724-2719, extension 3. They'll tell you different ways that you can support the network and, and you can mail a check in, that sort of thing, money order. Uh, the address there is RBN. 
2251 Double Creek Drive, Round Rock, Texas, 78664. And then, of course, the perfect solution for all of this, it's the easiest one, uh, is visit shoprbn.com. And that's that win-win situation. You support the advertisers. The advertisers continue to advertise on the network because you hear their commercials and you buy their products and services and they continue you see the circle how that works there it's a fantastic wonderful thing voluntary relationships for mutual benefit how did that ever become not a thing uh, i i guess part of it's this politics things right My, michael anderson is a historian and a political analysis and he's written uh, four books on the the subject of this sort of american politics and and we're talking about this tribal nature of it and in this the things that they'll switch back and forth and the reasons why they'll support the things they do and and it's uh, it's interesting to hear it because it's so obviously a political thing driven you know driven at the core by our biology for various reasons but it's obviously such a political thing and something that as individuals smart thinking individuals we can theoretically look at and see that it's all just sort of a, a smoke and mirrors game of back and forth sometimes uh, what what's the is there a common thread is there is there any chance that we resolve this sort of political thing or or does is this biology in us just so ingrained that it's going to always feed this uh, political division, you think? Well, America was tribal twice before this. It was tribal. Okay. The worst case, obviously, was the Civil War. And then there was the second case, which was during the Gilded Age, when the political machines were operating after the Civil War. Uh, vot- voting was very popular in the 80%. Uh, range for the public. Wow. Uh, but cities were controlled by uh, machine leaders. Uh, we know about uh, Boss Tweed in New York, but every city had that. And as you probably know, when people went to vote, they uh, voted in public. They were handed a ballot, and people were standing around watching how you voted. And if they didn't like where you what you were voting for, they would try to change your mind or forcibly do it. So the cup the country is divided between a, a democratic and a republican machine, and that lasted probably from the end of uh, Reconstruction, which was eighteen seventy seven, another t- you know ten, twelve, fifteen years or something. And what fixed that was the intellectualization of voting, I mean, organizations and education and all that, teaching about the value of voting, but maybe most important was the secret ballot. Because once that was 1883, the secret ballot was put in place. And once people couldn't see who you voted for, they couldn't intimidate you to vote one way or the other. So that machines got replaced by the political parties and the whole thing shifted to a more legitimate base uh, than it had been. But also the voting percentages dropped because people who were formerly voting because they got 
a free drink at the bar, quit voting. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the, the non-politicians quit voting. So, you know, I my answer generally to your question is that there are three things that could end tribalism. One is, as I mentioned, is some right. threat. Uh, one is fatigue. Uh, and the other is a grassroots effort to stop it, which I think is going to be the answer. Because there's organizations starting up all around the country that are dedicated to opening up dialogue between Republicans and Democrats, where people can sit down together and realize, well, that person has a different point of view, but they seem like they're a nice nice person. Because, the you know, the tribal concept is to hate the enemy. They're, I'm right, and they're wrong. And, you know, there are people who, people are obviously attracted to tribes who feel uncomfortable not being in one or the other. But once you get in a tribe, you don't have to think because you know what your tribe stands for, so you don't question it. And people should be question, people should be questioning the beliefs of their tribe because in both cases they're extreme. So I think the answer comes from that. Um, I talk about uh, all the podcasts I'm on. I, I talk about my astonishment that tribalism breaks up families. You know, you hear this all the time. Uh, for, my brother Fred doesn't come to Thanksgiving anymore because he likes mm-hmm. Trump. And and to, to imagine that politics could be more important than family, than siblings, your brothers and sisters, and somehow you've made a tribe more important than that is ludicrous. At least so, it seems a little bit more possible and a little more understandable when you consider a a sort of genetic, a biological reason yeah. for our those basic splits in the, in our understanding in our in our politics. Right, but the, the Fred used to come to dinner every year before. Mm. Now he doesn't come to dinner anymore. So I mean, it has to do with tribalism, mm. and it's unfortunate. Yeah, it is because there's no particular reason why. Because when you're absolutely right, when you when these people that are going around doing this, when they can get uh, people to sit in the same room and have a conversation, generally speaking, there's going to be an agreement about what they value as individuals and what we value as people and what we value as Americans. But then there is a, a line that's crossed and it becomes it, it's instant. It's an, it's an interesting thing to watch. If you you watch people have conversations that have seemingly radical, different or even even people from the same supposed political side of things where they don't fall into that middle where we're not on the, you know, the upper parts of the bell curve. You're down on the bottom sides of the, the crazy left and the crazy right where it's just super crazy and super crazy you get on one topic and and authoritarianism seems to be that topic a, a great deal of times that that these conversations are being had and you see the look change on the guy's face and and the attitude and the change in the voice and then all of a sudden you know the sort of next thing out of the the host's mouth or such well we need to change the subject <laughs> well consider this there's 8 million uh, very strong uh, 
uh, progressives, and there's 8 million very strong traditional conservatives. Why should that 16 million out of 340 million dictate the whole direction of the country? That's a good question. Yeah. And, Very much and so. I mean, I mean, from a practical standpoint, the government can't move forward because of tribalism. And why don't people realize that if you got rid of tribalism, the country could operate again? People are willing to stop our political system from operating over this crazy tribalism thing. Which is an interesting idea in in and of itself, because an ineffective government should be a better government because it's it's completely ineffective. It can't go around telling people right. what to do. <laughs> well, that's a whole other discussion. You're right, isn't it though? <laughs> because they can't drive the national debt up if they don't pass it, anything. Right. <laughs> that's your point. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, so what is a democracy? Then I, America is supposedly a democracy. Then it's not very democratic, though. It seems to be all very weighted in a particular direction for a system that doesn't it doesn't it, it in and of itself doesn't really care about left or right. Doesn't care about who's in control. Man, you set me up good because <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm going to talk. I'm going to introduce the concept of my next book, which is going to come out this fall. The title awesome. of the book is. America's counterfeit democracy, mm. which is exactly what you alluded to. Um, America has never been a democracy. I mean, the founders basically created a republic because they didn't. They were worried about mob rule, and they wanted to have a government that basically. Had, well, there were two factions. There were the Federalists who believed there should be a strong central government to control the masses, and the Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson's party, the Democratic Republicans, he believed in states' rights and that the states ha- should have more power than the federal government. So they kind of compromised when they did the Constitution and gave powers to each. But, um, you know, so it was a republic to start with. We extended the voting franchise to include women, 1920, and, and uh, African-Americans, etc. But it's never really been a democracy in the sense that the elites control everything. Right. I mean, basically, there, there's a chapter in the new book called The Power Elite, and it's, I didn't invent this concept. It's been researched and written about extensively, that there's a... a kinship or relationship or a network that's built between wealthy families, rich people, and heads of corporations. And they work together to influence government policy. So that has always operated. I mean, the the founding fathers were all aristocratic, wealthy individuals. And for a long time, the country wasn't really, it didn't have a functional elite because it was too spread out. I mean, you had the government of Washington, but if you're in Nebraska in 1850, who cares? Who cares? I mean, mean, until the whole country was settled and organized into a modern society, it it didn't matter that much. And of course, the other factor was the growth of corporations. Because we were a farming country until the Industrial Revolution. And then corporations became larger and larger and more influential. And 
made an alliance. Of course, wealthy people own corporations too. So, right. <laughs> you know, it's so the same people. The link, <laughs> right, it's the same people. The link is obvious. And now we have a, a seven corporations that control all the media in the United States who are all corporations who have affiliations with the wealthy. So they're, they have the biggest megaphone and they tailor the news and all we read. It's all, I mean, I heard you mention when you had your prior guest on about, about uh, scripted, all the news is scripted. It, it, right. It's either it's supposed to it's it's scripted to influence us or make us feel good about where the country is at. So if you want the truth, you have to discover your own truth because you don't find it there. Um, the other thing is that the huge thing in tribalism is social media. Social media. Oh, I was going to get to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 done great things, but it's it to me it's a toss up whether it's good or bad because yeah. what it did is gave every idiot a microphone, yeah. and so and the fact that the idiots that get the most uh, earplay or sets of eyeballs get Are the, the most biggest exposure. <laughs> well, they're to get the most exposure, yeah, because it's all advertising based, yeah. So a very dangerous influence. I mean, 25 years ago, if you had a crackpot theory about something, you had to stand on a soapbox in a park and talk about it. <laughs> right. Because or write had, a book. You, at least right. exercise it by writing a book, and people could look at it and go, Jesus, that guy can barely write. Maybe his thoughts aren't so great. Or maybe he, he writes very well, and, and maybe there's something to consider there. Yeah, they, you had to put yourself out there. You don't have to put yourself out there in social media. You just put your stupid thought out there and let it go. And, but people are concocting stupid thoughts because they could get listeners or mm -hmm. followers that way. Yeah. And then you get rich because you have enough followers, you become an influencer. So it's not good. No, not I think the net the result of it. And, What's that? Go ahead. No, I, was I was just going to say the net result is, is uh, probably a negative result. In terms of our in, – in, terms of us helping resolve any political differences it's not helping right yes at least when it comes to the social things we can just we can, we still have our opportunity to look at the person and go oh, well i'm not doing that i'm not i'm not right. playing that particular game but the political game is foisted on us we we're not we don't have a choice the, yes. the only thing you can do is participate in it or or not Right. I think that um, that democracy's future <laughs> is is safe. Uh, one of the you know we have these sort of ready questions. Uh, Michael here is my is one of my Podmatch uh, connections. I just I really enjoy the Podmatch site. Been using it for a couple of years now and. Uh, just had some amazing conversations, half of them with people named Michael for some reason. Um, um, <laughs> I, it, the, it, one of the questions that you sort of have posted up there is, is what is the future of democracy? And to me, I think the future of democracy is fine because it 
it's it's not it's unresolving it's it's just it's like that constant um work we're all oh, we're, we're gonna do better next time we're gonna do better next time so there's always just this hope that if nothing else at least those people that are involved in it and can get something out of it you know they're using their political and social power to to get something for themselves whether they change anything for anyone else or not will continue to keep them interested in that system then of course as many people as more people become dependent on it as the economy continues to to crumble and people are are more concerned about their future they'll grab on to that system and support that system i think the future of democracy is fine uh is there is is it more subtle than that though well let me use an example of bring the power elite back in here because that's my fifth book but it's relevant to our conversation sure and it's funny how you can look at it because you could say on one hand well if elites are controlling the country then our vote doesn't mean anything that's one sure. side of it, but you could also say if elites are controlling our comp- country, it's more stable. Because basically, put yourself in the mind of a billionaire. There's two things that person wants. First of all, they want to make a lot of money for their investments. And number two, they want the, our society to be stable. Stable, yeah. That's why, I mean, it's interesting that n- none of the elites, I'm sure, thought Trump would be elected or wanted him to be elected because he, every populist is a wild card because mm-hmm. they're responding to the, the desire for one part of the, of the public who's underrepresented to find someone to represent them. And he did. And so that was hor- a horrible experience for the elites because they can't control Trump. He's not, he doesn't need the money. He won't be told what to do, et cetera. So they're always working to keep the society stable, which includes telling us how well off we are. And that's a good thing. Um, the ultimate answer to your question is when does when could a democracy fail? And it applies to any political system. It fails when it can't govern anymore. Very simple. So if you look at, you know, our country and then, what's going to happen in the next 10 years, and you live through that or whatever, you, you can see the signs. I mean, if we get bankrupt because our debt is too high and we have to start limiting services or we can't solve tribalism or the government can't function or whatever, those are all, I mean, societies expect their governments to work for them. And if they don't work, they're going to want to go in a different direction. Now, what is that direction? Who knows? Because democracies are basically the end product of the development of political systems. Well, it was supposed to be, right? Yeah, but we're obviously seeing that that's not necessarily the case, or that it's a a democracy for for some. Yes. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. I really... I'm curious to see how just this next one plays out because I think we're – I talk about how it's a tit-for-tat that we have going on right now and have for for quite a few years. Uh, It's just back and forth. Well, that guy is not doing a good job, so that means his party is not doing a good job, so we'll switch control over to the other party. And and it's just insane because they're they're just they're 
what what's the saying moving deck chairs on the titanic yeah yeah so yeah <laughs> the ship's still going down but you're gonna sit in a different spot and maybe get a different view of it <laughs> well that's why it's interesting to look at the history of elections in our country if you look at the presidency or you look at the congress the house and the senate they keep switching back and forth because either yeah. the people don't like what's happening or they get tired of one side and they switch to the other the public is always using that in an attempt to make things better. But there's not that much difference in the parties now because they're both bought by lobbyists. They represent the lobbyists who represent the power elite instead of the people. Oh, and that's the problem yeah. with suggesting that you can consolidate individual power into well and okay so that's the joke right that's the lie of it all is that we don't have the power to do the things that the the politicians do as, as individuals we don't have that power we don't have that right we don't have that moral uh side of it but as soon as we sort of all go you know well okay maybe a third of us or something like that say hey that guy should be the one that's in control all of a sudden him and his political party can do all of these magical things that you and i can't do as individuals and it's somehow moral it's somehow right it's somehow legal but see here's here's another problem the people are at fault because they don't take control mm-hmm. and and my, i have a silly example of that but it's really true in your i'm sure you have thought about this uh everybody complains that for example that the leaders are too old which they are mm-hmm. and so they they say we either want we got to repl- throw those bums out or put term limits in which will never happen because the Congress would have to put them in, and that would <laughs> they they would lose their power. Yes. But uh, then, when it comes to pulling the lever, everybody says, "Well, everybody else's candidate is too old. Mine's okay, and I like him, so I'm going to keep voting for him." So everybody keeps voting in the same idiots that should have retired decades ago. Mm-hmm. So yep, the people have to be responsible. They have to make hard decisions. They have to be knowledgeable about the candidates. I mean, listen to this fact. If you have, if you spend any more money than your opponent in an election, you got a 90% chance of winning. Is that it? It's just down that, to the that's dollars? That's 90%. So Boy, and all, that if... mean, all that means is that that person has spent more bought more tv ads and got their face in front of yeah. more people and they won the popularity contest they, yeah they won exactly yeah. Unfortunately, we got to wrap it up, Michael. That's the end of the show. I appreciate you hanging out with me. We'll have to do it again sometime. Uh, Stuart Kenneth Moore on the show next week. Talk about uh, Project MKUltra. We'll be back then. Take care.
here's some interesting news. Due to all the recent claims about possible nuclear wars, viruses, solar flares, and civil unrest, people are scrambling to prepare and stockpile food. But the one thing out of reach for many is an underground bunker. Until now. Because you can now have a 3D printed underground bunker in just one day. An excavator digs a hole in your backyard and 3dbunkers.com shows up in a small truck and sets up their 3D printer under a tent completely undetected. They can print as many rooms as you want at a fraction of the cost compared to traditional metal bunkers. 3D Bunkers uses polymer concrete, which is five times stronger than regular cement. YouTube 3dbunkers.com and watch the video. The creators of 3D Bunkers is looking for a business partner that can help bring this technology to the world. And we need to protect our way of life without living in fear. Contact Brad at 3dbunkers.com for more details or visit 3dbunkers.com. 